Today, as Barry said, we're looking at prayer. But before we do, I just want to ask a couple of questions. How many people here have got a smartphone? Yeah, okay. How many of the people who've got a smartphone used it to make a telephone call in the last week? Oh, surprising number. Okay. Recent statistics, I mean, these go back to 1999, uh, 2019, 2020, so they are pretty fresh. 88% of the people in the UK now have a smartphone. 95% of those people use them every day. In fact, the average time for using a smartphone is over seven hours a day. But when they get any work done, it's beyond me. But of all the uses that people make of, smart, uh, make of a smartphone, it seems that making a phone call isn't high on their priority list. A slightly older poll went into a little more detail. Of 2017 smartphone owners, 27% hadn't made a phone call in more than a week using the, that device. And 5% of people said they had never made, made or take a call on a smartphone. Okay, one more question. Where do you think making a phone call sits in the top 10 uses of using what uh, using a smartphone making a phone any ideas or is that seven you said okay. well there's the top ten uses making a phone call doesn't even make the top ten it's actually number eleven at forty one percent okay the top two uses you we get there are at least communication related it's texting and emails but think about it. You know, while texting and emails have their place, and they're pretty ubiquitous in many ways, the way people communicate nowadays, do those really replace having a conversation, whether it's face to face or, or on a phone? So today's serious subject, as I said, is prayer. And a dictionary definition of prayer is well, this one from Webster's an address such as a petition to God or a God in word or thought. And dictionary.com, a, a devout petition to God or an object of worship. Hmm. Interestingly, both of them highlight the act of petitioning God as prayer. Is that right? Or is it just what the world perceives prayer as? Now, the new Bible dictionary, made, published by IVP, in contrast to those two secular dictionaries, defines prayer as worship that includes all the attitudes of the human spirit in its approach to God. And a theologian by the name of Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology, got much simpler, prayer is personal communication with God. In other words, while asking for things is part of prayer, Christian prayer is something that is far wider than that. Prayer is how we take part in a conversation with God. And like many things we do as Christians, prayer isn't something that we have to do to earn or to keep our salvation. But it is important if we want to grow spiritually and develop our walk with Jesus. 
But like our mobile phones, do we talk to God as much as we could or we should? And to be a bit more personal, and the you in this case includes me as well, do you talk to God as much as he would like you to? When you've got a really close friend, how often do you talk to them? Now, I, I suspect the answer is likely to be frequently, although the definition of frequent may differ quite a bit between men and women. How close your friend is will drive both the frequency of your conversation and its content. But isn't it also true that the more you talk to and share with a friend, the closer your friendship becomes. And the same is true of prayer. Frequent prayer will bring us closer to God. It's when we speak to someone that we can express our feelings for them. You know, there's no way that I would go to Carol and send, send a text you know, when I was courting her to say, I love you. wouldn't really work very well, would it? I'd actually have, you know, it has meaning when you talk to them. And it's when we speak to God in prayer that we have our opportunity to express all that we think and feel about God to him. And the very first words of the Lord's Prayer acknowledge our dependence on God as a loving, wise father and also recognize that he rules over all from his heavenly throne. And like a young child, we need to trust our father. Jesus used the example which we, uh, Barry read earlier of the child asking his father for a fish or an egg from Luke 9, uh, 11, 9 to 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? Even in this fallen world, most parents will do their best for their children. But our Heavenly Father, who is perfect, will give us far more than we can ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20 Prayer is also a way that we can exercise a gift that God has given us. As his children, he allows us to be involved in activities that are eternally important. We can be involved in a significant way in the work of his kingdom by praying about it. And then through our Christian lives, we need to see when our prayers have been answered. And we all have answered prayer we can look at. And that evidence of God answering our prayers, should be, we should use as fuel for our faith and our trust in God. And we should go on to pray yet more. So looking at how we pray, the first thing to note is there is no one pattern in the Bible for how to pray. We've got plenty of examples of prayer, and there are some common themes in them. But each person has prayed differently. And we don't need to use special language. We don't have to talk in particular forms of speech. And we certainly don't need to use thou and thee and archaic language cause just because we grew up with the King James Version. Jesus spoke to God in the everyday vernacular, the language of his time. People, when the King James Version were wrote, did speak in thous and these. It was the way they talked. And the same for us. We can just talk to God normally like we would talk to somebody else. And when, Jesus, or when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray in Luke 11.1, 1, 
he gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, we often use this as a prayer in its own right. But it's also a pattern. A pattern to see how we should approach prayer. And of course, the first section is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, calling God Father was very common in Jewish practice at that time. However, there is a distinction in what Jesus taught that's not quite as clearly visible in our translation. Jesus would have used the Aramaic word Abba, which is often translated as Daddy or Dad. It's the term that a young child will use for their father. And that's so often where people stop with translation. But there's more to it than that. It's more than just a name for a male parent. In Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed before his betrayal, Mark tells us that he prayed, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And there's another thread of the meaning of Abba, which we can see here, which is one of authority and respect. I found an example online where a Christian pastor had been visiting Israel and he was in the gents in the airport and there was a Jewish father with a young son washing their hands. Very small boy, apparently. And the father said to his son in English, when I ask you to do something, I want you to call me Abba. Now, if you go on the streets and you ask Barry about it afterwards, if he's been there, you will hear children talk to their father and they say, Abba, Abba, Abba. You know, like our kids say, Daddy, 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 whatever. But this was a bit different. Yes, there is an intimate aspect to Abba. It's something that can be used by a child to a father. But there's also an aspect of obedience, which is what that Jewish father was calling on. A meaning where Abba, in that sense, means more like, Father, I'll obey you a recognition of and respect for the authority of God and a trust in, their, in that father. So when we pray, we should reflect those same strands. There is an intimacy that we can have with God because we're his adopted children. We're able to call him Abba through the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8.15. A dependent trust on him like a small child but there also should be a willingness to be obedient to his word, respecting his authority. And that willingness to be obedient carries over into the hallowed be, the, uh, be your name. We think about God's name being hallowed in praise and worship. Things like the one that John described in heaven in Revelation 4, 8-11. Day and night, the four living creatures never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever they do, the 24 elders fall and worship him who lives forever and ever, saying, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That's just a short extract. You can read the whole thing. But do we recognize that everything that we do, at work, with our families, in a social setting, in church, or anywhere else, should all be done to honor God's name. Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 3, 22 and 24. He said, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, 
and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, whether we're praying the Lord's Prayer as it's written or using it as a pattern, when we start by focusing on God and praising and thanking him, we need to recognize God's authority in our lives, to commit ourselves to being obedient to him, to worship and honor him with everything we do, not just what we say. As Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's everything. There is nothing left that we're not worshiping God with. That's how we honor and hallow his name. Let's not forget, when we praise God, to say thank you. Let's thank him for all the good things he's done for us, all the prayers he's answered. If you spend a few minutes thinking of these, you may well be surprised how many good things there are that God has given us. God loves us. God cares for us. And let's make sure we thank him for that love and care. And let's be specific. After all, if all your children ever did was ask for things, can I have an ice cream? Can I have a new toy? Can I have a, can I have a, can I have a? And never said thank you. How would we feel? We then come to the second part of the prayer. Your kingdom become, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What can this teach us about praying for specific situations that are on our hearts? Well, it starts with what is the ultimate solution to the problems of the world, which is God's kingdom coming. But also for individuals. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God coming near in Matthew 4.17. The greatest need of any person is to receive God's forgiveness and grace through what Jesus did through his death on the cross and his resurrection. There's a frightening estimate that 80 to 90% of the suffering in the world is due to either human action or human inaction. Even where there is a natural disaster, human actions often make things far worse for those afflicted. If people did God's will rather than their own will, how much of that suffering would be alleviated? Yet when we watch the news and want to pray about something we've seen, we can feel overwhelmed and confused by the situation. We can feel unsure of the facts. That shouldn't stop us praying. The Lord's Prayer gives us a guide as to what is needed, which is God's will is done. If we've read our Bibles, we can see some basic principles that can help us discern what God's will might be. Love for one another. Feeding the hungry. Healing the sick. Assisting the oppressed. Jesus summed it up in his definition of the second most important commandment in Mark 12. He said, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Although they are far away from us, the people of Ukraine, people of Syria, the people of Israel and Palestine, and so many others. Yeah, even the Russians. 
are all our neighbors, and we should love them and pray for them. And when we pray for a situation and the people in it, we mustn't forget to pray that they will experience God's love and salvation so that God's kingdom will come for them in the same way it's come for us. And if we're still struggling to know how to pray, don't worry. Paul assured us the Holy Spirit will help us, even if all we can manage is cries and groans. Romans 8, 25 to 27. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for will. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's us, according to the will of God. But as the video showed us, we need to pray this with our eyes wide open, because there are potential implications. God's plan is for His church to be the means of showing His love to the world, reaching to those in distress or need, and meeting both their physical and their spiritual needs. When we pray, your will be done, we may well find God challenging us and saying, so what are you going to do about it? When places and situations are far away, apart from prayer, we may be limited to just giving, whether it's material goods or money. But don't rule out the possibility that God might challenge you, might call you to actually go there and help on the ground. And when a situation is nearby, we have all have far more opportunities to play our part in making God's will be done. It might be practical. It might be something like getting involved in the food ministry we run here. It may mean giving time to do tasks for those who can't. It does mean witnessing wherever the opportunity arises. And it might even mean getting involved politically, whether standing up for God's standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves, making our voices heard when laws that go against God's standards are introduced, or even, if it's God's will for you, standing for election for a political post. So when we pray, we shouldn't be surprised if God's answer to our prayer is us. We come now to give us this day our daily bread. Now, you might be breathing a great sigh of relief we finally come to the bit where we can pray for ourselves. Well, no. Look at the wording carefully. This isn't just an opportunity to pray for ourselves. The phrase is plural. The whole prayer is plural. Give us our daily bread. While we are included in the prayer, if we pray according to this pattern, we are praying for a community, whether a group, a church, town, or a wider community. After all, if we pray for ourselves, one person is praying. If everybody prays for everyone else in the church like this, we've got 60-odd people praying for us. Which one do you prefer? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for yourself, but if we pray in the spirit of Jesus' model, prayers for ourselves as individuals shouldn't normally be the longest and most fervent part of our prayer. We shouldn't rush through the first parts to get to praying for me. And what do we pray for ourselves? Jesus focuses here on needs, which could be any physical need, 
and that isn't the same as wants, of course, as I'm sure any parent here has said to the child at some point or other. But it's also for things like wisdom, if we have a difficult decision to make. For example, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who will give it to you generously. When we ask for things, we don't need to tell God what we need. And after all, Jesus told us, when you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans. Now, they think it's a bit like the priests of Baal at Mount Carmel, you know, where they were dancing around and shouting, and even got to the point of cutting themselves with knives to get their God to listen. We don't need to do that. Our Father knows what we need before we ask him. Asking for what we need, however, does remind us of our dependence on God to provide for us, and it shows our trust in him. After all, we all know when our children are getting hungry, and we have a meal actually on the stove, often before they appear at the kitchen door saying, I'm hungry! How much more will God know what we need than we do for our children? And Jesus then tells us to deal with our spiritual situation and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Most important here is to daily, at least, confess our sins and seek God's forgiveness. Now, to be clear, this isn't the same as when we first believed and repented. It's about restoring our relationship with God on an ongoing basis when we've done things that go against his command, and we all do. But note also the condition that's attached here. And again, the video brought this out very clearly. We need to be forgiving people to be forgiven. Jesus told the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 8, 21 to 35. You can read it again, read it afterwards if you don't know it. It's worth reading. So there was a servant, actually probably a, a tax collector or some sort of official, who owed his master a large debt. The figures don't mean a lot as they're quoted in the Bible, but the best deal is it's about 400 years' salary for a laborer. You know, that is serious. And he was unable to pay. But when he pleaded, his master cancelled the debt. But then the forgiven servant went out and made another servant, another official, who owed him a much smaller but not trivial sum, which was about 100 days' pay for a laborer. And he had him sent to prison to pay the debt, despite that second man's plea for mercy. When the master found out, he had the first servant sent to jail until he paid his debt in full. And Jesus' final words on the parable are chilling. That's how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, that doesn't mean our salvation is dependent on our actions rather than God's grace. No way. It's making the point that if we are God's children, our lives, including our willingness to forgive others as we have been forgiven, have to reflect the change in our status from rebel against God to adopted sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. We're called to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of our Father in heaven, in Matthew 5, 44-45. And Jesus demonstrated this in practice. As he was in the process of being nailed to the cross, he prayed for those who were doing it. If he can do that, why can't we for someone who hurts our feelings or stands on our toe? And then the final request in the Lord's Prayer is, do not bring us to the time of trial, 
but rescue us from the evil one. In this, we're asking God to keep us from sinning when we're tempted and from falling when our faith is tested. It's too easy to rely on ourselves when we're tempted or when our faith is tested and so fall flat on our faces. Think about Peter. He followed the high priest's house when Jesus was arrested. And it was there in the high priest's house he ended up denying Jesus three times, despite the fact Jesus had warned him he was going to do that earlier that in the evening. And Peter's protestations that, oh no, everyone else can run away, but I'll stick with you. But there is a role for us in this too. And it relates to the preceding phrase about temptation. We need to make sure we don't put ourselves in a position where we are tempted. We all have weaknesses where we're, where we're susceptible to temptation, and Satan loves to take advantage of it. And we know what they are. We all do, sure. I mean, let's take a case. Suppose, for example, our weakness is alcohol. Then the last place we should go is where alcohol is readily available. Going to a pub or a club, no matter our determination to resist having too much to drink, is just asking for trouble. So don't do it. So something for, for all of us to think about. What is your vulnerability? Where do you keep tripping up and falling down? What should you be avoiding so you don't put yourself in temptation? Again, the video we saw earlier brought that out fairly well. Is it the books we read, the TV we watch, the people we know, the places we go? Don't put yourself in that in temptation's way. So to summarize, the Lord's Prayer is a pattern that we can use when we pray. It's not the only pattern that Christians have found useful over the years, but it is one that Jesus gave us. And to be honest, the other useful ones are focused on it. So you may have come across things like joy, Jesus, other yourself, others yourself, if you're praying, or pray, praise, repent, ask, yield, all the same. Prayer is a dangerous activity. When we pray, God can and will challenge us and change us. He can move us to do things we haven't thought of, or even things that we have thought of and decided there is no way we're doing that. And God can answer. Um, yes, he will. But prayer brings real blessings. Our relationship with God is deepened when we pray. Our trust and our faith grows as we see God answering our prayers. And we have the privilege of true prayer, of being involved in a significant way in the work of his kingdom. Jesus prayed frequently, and he prayed for extended periods, early in the morning, even overnight. For each of us, the challenge is, if the Son of God felt the need to do that, why don't we? What are we as individuals and as a church missing out on by not following Jesus' example, not praying regularly, frequently, and earnestly? Let's pray together that Amesbury Baptist Church, you and I, obedient, trusting, and depending on God, can become known as a people of effective prayer, people where God is at work in our midst, where we are a light that shines out to this place because we have that relationship with God through prayer.